This little book is $20. My brother-in-law gave it to me two summers ago, and uh, I want to pass this information too because it makes a point. This book covers all the trades that anyone could be in, and this book covers safety down through things that I've never heard about. Um, piping, pipe fitting, welding, screw threads, chain drives, V-belts, uh, sketching, anti-friction, all kind of things. So anybody who's in a trade, uh, I'm sure at the school's local community college, they have this book, but it covers everything imaginable. What kind of tools would compose a good toolbox? Uh, everything, and I'm so impressed with this book. The only thing I don't like is that it's in small print, very small print. But uh, if you have enough light and light right over here, you can read it very clearly. But if this book uh, is um, had by anyone in the trades, they will know what to do about any possible scenario. Well, doesn't that remind you of something? That this book covers any possible scenario in a trade setting? What book do we have that covers every possible scenario in life? Do you get the point? You don't get the point. I hope you get the point. The Bible is that trade book that you need to go to your manual to cover every possible scenario. This book is great, and um, I'm glad he gave it to me. He is not Chinese. He gave things away, my brother-in-law. Okay, we're going to go to the book of Exodus. We're going to cover the ten plagues, at least nine of them. I will save the tenth plague for next Sunday because it takes more time. It's worthy of more time. Not that the others are not worthy of time, but the tenth plague is really worthy of a lot of time, a whole class because it covers many important things about the death of Christ and the blood of Christ and a lot of typology in that. So I want to cover that in one session. So today we'll cover nine of them. And as I begin this morning, you know that there are critics of the Bible that say that the plagues of Egypt did not really happen. They're just myth. That the Exodus itself is just a myth. And they say, well, there's no evidence for that. Now let me ask this question. Are there evidences outside of the Bible that tell us about the plagues or about the Exodus? Of course there are. But the Christian is not to rely upon external evidence from the Bible. We will believe the Bible for what it says. Now we are not people without any brains and you should never think that, well, I, I cannot think because I'm just supposed to have faith. No, faith is not in something like a leap in the dark. Faith is believing in something that you don't quite understand or quite you haven't been there to witness it because you have confidence that the Bible is true because of things that it has said and things are true because of what it said. So because of that basis, you can say what I don't understand, what I have not seen, I haven't been there. I can still believe that because the credibility is there, other things it says, it is true, scientifically or historically or even spiritually or morally. And so you say because of that, I can believe that it is true and speaks about things I am not sure about. That's the difference. So believing in Santa Claus, there's no basis for that. Believing in the tooth fairy, there's no basis for that. Because there's no truth to that. But the Bible speaks about things that are true, even though you have not witnessed it firsthand. You can say, okay, I believe because of this is true. The resurrection of Christ proven to be true. Uh, Non-biblical statements, non-biblical witnesses. Therefore, on other things that I have not firsthand witnessed to, I can say I can believe it to be true by faith because confidence is in the credibility of the Bible. However, every once in a while you have outside evidence, non-biblical evidence that reminds us, hey, the Bible is true. There is this thing called the uh, 
Ipuwer, I-P-U-W-E-R, papyrus. Papyrus is the material that you write on. The New Testament is written on papyrus. The Old Testament is written on animal skins called vellum. It could be goat skins or uh, antelope skins, things like that, more durable. New Testament is written on papyrus. So there's a papyrus called the uh, Itmus, uh, Ipuwer papyrus. This is a man who wrote a poem. He's a poet. <laughs> he was a contemporary of the Exodus. And so some of the things he wrote refers to at least four of the, uh, five of the um, ten plagues. He wrote about a poem about the blood, water and blood, rain, hell and fire, darkness, and then the tenth plague. He wrote about that. Some of the quotes, the land is without light, and there's a reference to his poetry. Death of the firstborn, quote, it is a groaning throughout the land, mingled with lamentations, 314 is the citation in the poem. So that's just outside stuff to make it interesting to let you know that the outside world, the non-biblical uh, believers, they wrote about something that happened in their lifetime or just shortly after. So that's just something interesting to me that outside sources confirm that the Bible is true. We don't need that. We already have the Bible, but we have these things that happen all the time that refer to the Bible. Unknowingly, they're confirming it. Okay, now there's some uh, there's some uh, interesting things about that. Last night we let the, the kids see what's the name of the video, Miranda? Uh, it was by Redeem TV. About the cosmos. The cosmos, but it is really good. We didn't see the whole thing. Actually, we did 55 minutes, 58 minutes worth. Really interesting, really fast. Good graphics, good things. You go out into space and all these. It's just really good to see, and it confirms that there is a God. Well, that that you see what you see. Um, is very influential. What you see with your eyes is very influential. It confirms or makes you deny something. This confirms that there is a God, but we don't need that because we've got the Bible. All right, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 7. There's a lot more to go through in the book of Exodus. We haven't even got to yet the Ten Commandments. We haven't even got to yet the, the important things that he required of the nation of Israel, which we can draw lessons from. And uh, the tabernacle, we haven't gotten to the tabernacle yet. And that's really, 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 really interesting, the tabernacle. And so let's go through, in a survey form, the ten plagues, at least nine of them, this morning. And these are all miracles that God brought upon Egypt. You shall soon see that they were not just natural disasters that, hand, hand, that happened randomly. It happened by design and on purpose, sent from God. You'll find that to be very true. And so, number one. Matthew, what did I say, Matthew? Exodus chapter 7, verse 17. Exodus chapter 7, verse 17. Let's pray first, and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. We pray for your blessings on the lesson today and the class and others. We pray for your help. We pray for you to illumine our minds and help our hearts to rejoice in the fact that you are the great God and creator and that you have control over everything and you so do whatever you want to do when it is justified in your mind, your sight, for your purposes. Help us to get a blessing from today's lesson. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse number 17. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite, thee, uh, smite with the rod that is in thine hand upon the waters which are in the river, now river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. 
And the Egyptians shall loathe the drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, the seventh Aaron, seventh Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon the rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. Well, what a tragic day it was. The fresh water of, Nile, of the Nile uh, turned to blood, and every place that had water to drink, in vessels, in pitchers, in mugs, anything, anywhere, was turned into real blood. Now, it doesn't say real blood, but it says turned to blood. You take the Bible literally, then the Bible says that the water turned to blood. Therefore, everything that was drinkable, uh, no longer drinkable, it turned into blood. And because of that, the fish, millions of fish in the river now uh, died. And then, of course, it began to float and it began to stink. And for seven horrible days, this is what went on. And so, now, interestingly, the Bible does not say that after... Um, after Pharaoh said, okay, you know, uh, Moses and Aaron did not say to the river, raise up the rocks, okay, fresh water again. Nothing like that was said. Therefore, it seems like the river just stayed blood until it just disappeared into the Mediterranean Sea. And eventually it turned into regular water again, fresh water again. So I don't think that they stopped the blood from, uh, the water from, you know, go back, okay, fresh water again. Didn't do that. I don't see that. Nonetheless, all the fish died, and of course, verse 21, it stank. It makes sense, doesn't it? You ever been around fish that's been around on the counter, uh, and you forgot to put it away? I've done that sometimes. I've taken stuff from the grocery store, and left it on the counter, forgot about it, or left it in the car. Have you ever done that? You've gone to bags of groceries, and then you forgot to pick something up because you're in a rush or whatever, and then you say, what's that smell? Oh, wow. And they say, oh, no, I left the... And, you know, it's a horrible thing, but can you imagine piles of fish stinking the whole land? Now, you have the Nile River, the source of life of the Egyptians, uh, uh, the magicians, the magicians, Janice and uh, Jambres, they come back there, they duplicate it with red food colors or something. Mm -hmm. Now, they were counterfeiting. They were not really doing what Moses had done. They turned into real blood, and Pharaoh was kind of deceived to think that this is blood also. Whatever they did, they could not really replicate. They could just copy or mimic, but it wasn't really blood. But Moses, about Pharaoh, whatever it was, and he said, he said, oh, it looks like blood. So you know what? I'm not going to let the people go. My people can do that too. So his heart was hardened. And so the judgment on the Nile River turning to blood was against the God of uh, the Egyptians, actually more than what? Apis, Isis, goddess of the Nile, and Kunam, guardian of the Nile. So these three gods uh, were, if you think of boxing or MMA, knockout punch, submission hold. So throughout the plagues, you'll find that there are certain kind of false gods of Egypt that was attacked by God himself. He was going to prove to them that I am superior to all of these false gods that you trust in for your life, for your economy, for your very existence. And so 
the Nile also, some say, was believed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, the bloodstream of Osiris, quote, who was reborn each year when the river flooded. And so the Nile River, the source of life for the Egyptians, for their daily life, was devastated for seven days. They were helpless. They didn't cry uncle yet, but that was the intent. Number two, the frogs. Oh, frogs, frogs. Chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. Chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. If thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all their borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber, in, upon thy bed. This is very personal, isn't it? And upon the, into the house of thy servants and upon thy people, everyone's affected by these frogs, and into thine ovens, <laughs> into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs should come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the pond, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron did that in verse 6. In verse number 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. And so it came upon them, and it just was a big mess. Um, there's a famous sermon back in the 60s, uh, I think preached by Hugh Pyle. One Night with the Frogs is what the title was. What an interesting title. What an interesting sermon. One Night with the Frogs, except it's more than just one night. And so the frogs came, judgment number 2. And uh, eventually, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let the people go. And he changes his mind. But then the frogs all died, and they're part of the Bible says on heaps, on heaps. Well, can you imagine the scene? Piles and heaps of frogs dying, dead, rotting in that hot Egyptian sun in the desert. Can you imagine the aroma? Wrong word. Can you imagine the stench? Have you gone to a landfill? Before you get to the landfill, you can smell. There's another example about something stinking. If you ever drove on the mainland, maybe my experience has been down in the south, southeast. If you're in North Carolina heading south on Interstate 95, going down towards South Carolina, you smell something if you crack the window. It's a horrible chemical smell. And you say to yourself, what is that foul smell? First thing you think is, it's a skunk. A dead skunk can, can cause that smell to go for miles. Now, you know what you're smelling? You know what I smell? As you come down the freeway, going south towards South Carolina, you look to the distance, you see this big factory. It's a paper mill. Right. It's the paper mill that you smell. It's the chemical. It's just that foul odor. Over in Michigan, they have a warehouser, a paper mill, and it's foul sometimes. Well, can you imagine the aroma, the smell, the stench of all these heaps of dead frogs? Unbelievably foul. Well, um, this was a judgment on Israel, uh, on, on Egypt. Uh, this is against another false god, the frog-headed goddess of birth, Hekept. I, I refrain, I hesitate to give all these names of these false gods because, you know, you're not going to remember them. But uh, this was a judgment against the false uh, goddess of birth, the frog-headed goddess of birth. And so frogs to the Egyptians are sacred. You know, it's funny how people don't believe in God. They have a belief system that's very unreasonable and very much superstitious. And they make something 
uh, an object of worship like frogs? Why would you pick a frog to worship? How is that something uh, that's sensical? Well, the depraved mind and heart, they do imagine a lot of vain things according to Romans chapter one. And so Pharaoh, um, uh, he says go, but then he's relieved of the frogs. And so he changes his mind again. That's the pattern here in the book of Exodus about the place. And so number three then commences chapter eight, verse number 16. Plague, judgment, number three. Verses 16 through 19. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand upon uh, with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in men, man, and in beasts. And the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth life, but they could not. So there's a stopping point in which, what they can do, what they can duplicate or fabricate or facsimile. They were limited here. But there was lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so number three play, lice. Even the magicians got the lice, which is kind of hilarious to me. And the Hebrews... Were they exempt from this so far? Were they exempt from the first three plagues? It does tell us as we read on that they were not. They were not part of the plague. It comes to a certain place, but so far we haven't read that they were exempt from these plagues. Maybe not. Well, uh, uh, a place to debate about that. The third plague, uh, judgment on a God called S.E.T., the God of the desert. And so the magicians unable to do this, and they say this is the thing of God. So there's a limit to what the devil can do. This is what you're trying to learn here. The devil can counterfeit. He has false apostles, transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. They can do miracles and signs and wonders and things like that. In the tribulation, that will be really magnified. But they're all counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs. They're not the real thing. Now, could the devil even fabricate or fake a resurrection? Only God can bring back to life the dead. But can he fake it so that you are deceived to think that it happened? I would never underestimate the power of the devil and how he can make things look real. Every time I see the, the, the video we showed the kids yesterday, uh, the graphics was really, 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 really good. It's like you're there, but it wasn't, it was animation. Uh, there are things that we see today that are not real, but it looks so real. I always like to think how computers have a play in the tribulation and how the Antichrist will properly use uh, graphics to deceive the world. There are certain things that graphics can do now with these high powered computers. It's water, fire, smoke. It looks so real. Water, fire, smoke looks very real. There are even cartoons. Uh, the penguins or uh, Madagascar, things like that. Uh, it looks so real. And um, they've really come a long way when it comes to making something not real, real. Uh, animals, the movements, everything looks so real. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that the Antichrist will be involved in using this technology 
to deceive the world. So the devil is a deceiver and he's a liar and he's very subtle with what he does. So you have to be very careful not to accept any so-called miracle as if it's from God all the time. Can God heal? Yes. Can the devil heal? Or can he fake a healing? Can he do something to appear like God did it? Right. You know, I, you just visited your country in the Philippines. You know, they, I remember back in the 70s, they had these psychic healings. Remember these psychic healings? Where they used their hands to in, remove an organ or heal someone? Supposedly there were videos, there were still pictures for sure, about some guy in some island in the Philippines doing something like that. It was a big sensation back in the 70s, I think. And I haven't heard much about it since. You might want to research about that. But the psychic healings, these have been the creeps, how you can manipulate your fingers into the body of a person and take out an organ. Trickery, deception, maybe. But if that really did happen, how would you account for that happening? Possibilities. God did it. Satan did it. Those are possibilities. Third one would be deception, manipulation, fake. There's a magician, magician, magician who appears to do things that are very unnatural in New York City. And uh, things that are explained, but as you see it happen, you wonder how it happened. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's factors. But what I'm trying to say to you is that the magicians are able to duplicate the blood, water turned to blood, the frogs, but not the lions. So there's a limit to what the devil can do, all right? That's what you want to learn. Number, number four, flies. Don't you love flies? Flies. Don't you love fly dice? <laughs> Chapter 8, verse 20. Number four, the fourth plague in Egypt. Verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, and they may that they may serve me. Uh, else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send, I will send. Again, to emphasize it, I will send. God is the one who sends these judgments upon Egypt. It is not natural disasters, but they were. But there were natural disasters that God brought upon Egypt. God controlled what was happening. It was not just the season for flies to come. It was not just a season for later on the locusts to come. It was not just a season. No, no. They were coming because God ordered them to come. And do you not remember that God is control over nature? Can you think of a New Testament verse in which God showed he had control over nature in the Gospels? Any remembrance that you may have about God controlling nature because he's the creator of nature. Any, any incident says that took place in the Gospels that reminds you God seems control of nature. You must have remembered some. You must have some in your mind that, oh yeah, he's control over nature. Can you think of one? He calmed the storm. Shh. And immediately, I have seen, through the benefit of YouTube, ships out at sea, cargo ships, container ships, in huge 
boarding sea. Waves are unbelievably big, and I've seen container ships, what's the word when they topple over, capsize, lose all their cargo. What a tragic thing to lose all of your cargo, all of your goods on a container ship. Over a thousand containers were lost to the bottom of the sea because the waves are so powerful. Now, and all of a sudden, the wave just stopped, the wind just stopped, it's calm, and pretty soon that boat just settles down like that. Now that's control. God can do that. Um, so here, he controls nature, he controls the animal world, the insect world, and he brings a bunch of, that's Southern talk, a bunch. He brings a bunch of flies. In verse number 21, else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and upon all the houses and the house of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground where they are. Now, notice whenever the plagues came, it affected everyone. It affected every citizen of Egypt. It affected every Egyptian. Everyone's affected by this. Well, that was the target. Everyone is affected by the judgments. And so the flies come, and then in verse number 22, and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen. This is the first time you've found where God says, I will not let this come upon my people. Verse 22, and I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of earth. And I'll put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so. So once again, the reinforcement here is that God said these things to Egypt. It wasn't just natural or seasonal. He was the one who gave the order and they obeyed the order. Now, then he says in to, to emphasize the, the division of the people, he says, but my people in Goshen will not be subject to the flies. They won't get that. And he says, so that you know, Pharaoh, that my people are not your people. I'm going to put a division between my people and thy people. And this is what's going to happen. He makes a point to say, my people are my people. They're not your people. Let go of my people. They're my people. You're holding my people. My people will not get the flies. They'll not get this judgment. But you will all get this judgment, but not my people. He's making a strong point to the Pharaoh. Um, so you have the flies come. Now, there are all kinds of flies. All kinds of flies. There's horse flies. There's regular kitchen flies, house flies, all kinds of flies. Some flies are big. You go to Alaska, they're big flies. Isn't that true? Big flies in Alaska. So if I ever go to Alaska, I'm not going to go in the spring or summertime because I understand mosquitoes and flies are real big. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like flies. I like to go when they're all gone because of the cold. But all kinds of flies come. Doesn't say just regular flies. And so um, they are coming to judge Israel, uh, uh, Egypt, and uh, what a mess this is. Now, look at verse number 24. The Lord did so. There was a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into the servant's house, into the land of Egypt. The land was corrupt by reason of the swarm of flies. So, once again, everyone in Egypt was affected by the judgment. It didn't just come. People didn't say, oh, look at what's happening over there. 
they began to swat at themselves because flies are all over the place buzzing. Can you imagine the buzz sound around Egypt? Everywhere flies came. They didn't have enough cans of ray to get rid of them. They could have had this shrusk about DDT. Remember that? You, any of you folks are older. We would have around Conway coming through the neighborhood twice a week. Twice a week. There's big trucks going real slow and all this smoke is coming out of the truck. All this stuff to kill mosquitoes. We used to chase the trucks. Just doing this. Running through. Playing behind those trucks. Apparently, I didn't die. Kill mosquitoes. It worked. Nothing could get rid of these flies. They called City and County. City and County came out. They got the pump sprays. They got the trucks. Nothing seemed to get rid of the flies because it was a judgment from God. And uh, so imagine how awful this was after God said, okay, that's enough. Well, uh, you had dead uh, fish, dead frogs, now dead flies. What a horrible mess in the land of Egypt. I will guess that back then, Expedia, Travelocity, and other vendors like that would not be promoting visiting Egypt. <laughs> it was just not a good time to go. Not too attractive. So you have a judgment against another false god, the fly god. The fly god starts with a U. Well, let's go to number five. Another horrible judgment that affected their economy. These judgments are affecting Egypt's economy. These judgments are devastating their economy and their lifestyle. It is interrupting their lifestyle big time, like nothing before. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Go into unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. So the relief that they would get is very simple. Just let the people go. Very simple. The solution is very simple. By the way, do you notice that whenever there's hardship in some of some sort on people or in a country or a nation or something like that, and it's known to be, okay, we're disobeying God, we're upsetting God, we're making God mad, he's going to judge us. Do you know that the solution is very simple? Repent. Repent. Get right with God. Say, tell God you're sorry. Please forgive us. Have mercy on us. Sackcloth and ashes. Nineveh. And God says, okay, I draw back my hand on judgment. I'll bring relief. But no, people are very stubborn. Like Moses was, like Pharaoh was stubborn. And they continue to do the same things that brings judgment. They just don't see it. If that's not spiritual blindness and being stubborn, I don't know what is. Verse number two. For if thou refuse to let them go, stubborn, will hold them still, stubborn. Verse three. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, and upon the oxen, upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is in the children of Israel. Again, a separation, a protection. Verse 5, And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow, tomorrow, the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did this thing, once again, to emphasize, it is not a natural disaster, it's not a natural disease, it is God who did it on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But on the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Notice that it says, not one died. That's very specific. How can a natural disaster be so selective? It cannot be. This must be 
by direction, by order. And the Lord shall do this thing in the land, and not one cattle of the children of Israel, of Israel died, not one, not one, emphasizing not one. Verse 7, Pharaoh sent, and now Pharaoh goes and sends somebody to check it out, and he finds out it is true, where all our cattle are died, have died, but not none of the Israelites, none of the, and he gets mad. His heart is hardened. Did not let the people go. And so that is another plague that God brought to cripple their economy, to hurt them, to get them to repent. He brings them harshness. He brings them pain. He brings them suffering so that they turn to him and repent. But they don't. Well, that's flies. We come now to the moraine. Okay, that happened. And, uh, you know, when cattle are suffering, when horses suffer, when animals suffer, do they not make any noise? There's a great cry. I saw some videos of um, lions, leopards, or tigers, mostly lions, leopards, and um, they attack whatever they attack. Let's say they attack a zebra. You know, zebras, they have a very powerful kick. And if they get kicked like that, they'll crack your jaw. It's very powerful. Even giraffes, they have a powerful kick. It's something elephants, are, I didn't know elephants are so aggressive. Elephants can defend their young if they so choose to. And when they get mad, they get mad. They go after you and they will do something to you and they can hurt uh, lions and tigers and so on. But you know, when they, you see the, the tiger, they get on the back of uh, an animal, their prey, and they finally bring them down, which when the animal comes down, they are done. Once the water buffalo is down, they're done. Once the zebra's down, they're done. Once the animal's down, they're done. If they can't run around, they can't kick, they can't move, they're done. They're gonna die, they're gonna, die, they're gonna be killed, they're gonna be eaten. But the animal, when the lion, the lions, uh, they try to get to the mouth to suffocate uh, their prey. But sometimes they go here to suffocate them here. And uh, they, they make noise, they cry in agony, they cry in pain, they cry for help. They're crying for their fellow brothers to help them. And sometimes buffalo just come around like this, they do this. They just watch. Sometimes they will come and they will try to protect their brothers. And uh, when they get hooked, when the line gets hooked, they get flipped up. There's a big gash in their body. Anyway, the animals, I'm trying to say, they cry for help. And they will make sounds. They'll make noises. Can you imagine the noise of the cattle and animals did in Egypt as they were dying from this disease? Must have been an awful moaning throughout the land of Egypt, but not in Goshen. It was all quiet and peaceful. Animals were grazing. They look up. Hmm, what's going on over there? Continue grazing again. So the marine is very grievous. And uh, death of all the livestock. That really, that really hurt. That really hurt their trade. Hurt their economy. And uh, it, it's, God's deadly destroyed all that, all the riches and wealth of Egypt. They would be have they would have nothing left. But he protected his people and he did not allow them to suffer. Once again, to emphasize, these plagues are not natural disasters. They happen because God sent them, he ordered them, and uh, they are fulfilling God's prescription to get them to repent. And so everything, all these gods that are supposed to protect these aspects of their economy and their life was being knocked out. It's like king of the hill. God is saying, I'm the king of the hill. Here comes Osiris. Boom. Here comes boom. Here comes boom. He knocks him down. 
They cannot win against the Almighty God. Number six. Okay, we have something very personal again. You have boils and blames. Chapter 9. Boils and blames. Verse number 8 through 11. Oh, boy. This, this is... If others weren't hurtful, the lice, if that wasn't hurtful on the bodies, look at verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes and of the furnace. Let Moses sprinkle it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before, the, before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it upon the heaven, and it became a ball breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils upon the magicians. That's almost, that's almost humorous. And the boils upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So that's another one. That's another one. It's against a goddess uh, Osiris. The goddess Nut, N-U-T, and uh, against, I'm sorry, I went ahead of myself, but uh, against Sekhmet, Sunu, and Isis, judgments on the gods over health and disease. They had a job, God for everybody. Got a God for everybody. You have to appease all of these gods. But God is saying, okay, next, next, next. Now, I know you general Christians don't like to see force and use power and all that kind of thing. And you, you don't fight against the flesh with the arm of the flesh. But in reality, do you not inwardly rejoice to know that your God is more powerful than any of these gods? And that he's able to put down because just with the snap of the finger, put down. With the snap of the finger, create the heavens. Oh, by the way, he names all the stars too. He made the stars too, like that. I mean, can you, do you not feel good that you have a God that is so great and powerful and not so manini and small and petite and, and fragile like these false gods of Egypt? And God is saying, okay, come on, try me. Well, we we, we just feel good that our God is not a pathetic Peewee Herman God. Amen. He's a masculine, yes. manly Strong, powerful, almighty. The Bible doesn't call God by terms that make you think, think that he's unable to do anything. The hand of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. That means his hand is powerful. And uh, when he does destruction like this, you cannot stop it. Unless the response is what God says you should be and what you should do. Then it is relieved. Then it's removed. All right, let's go to number six. Uh, that was boils and blames. Number seven, hail, thunder, and fire, chapter nine. The passage is a little bit longer, chapter nine, verse 18 through 26. Verse number 18 says, Tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even unto now. And then if you come down to... Uh, verse number 23, 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven. Now, there, now, why does God tell Moses to stretch forth the hand, raise up your rock? Why does he tell him to do that? Is there power in the hand of Moses? And stretch forth his hand before things happen? 
it just seems like there's a mark for it to blast off. Maybe 10, 98, 7, 6, 5, 9, 0. It's like that. God didn't need Moses' hand to come up to cause things to happen. It's just that he used the human instrumentality to get something going. So the mark of the time when it happened is when he raised up his arm. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thine hand upon heaven. Oh, but that's kind of like uh, in James where he talks about, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith says, well, what's, what's miracle, miraculous about the oil? Isn't it about the act of obedience that causes something uh, to happen that God starts? See, that's more of it than anything else. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, verse 22, and there, that there may be hail in the land of Egypt upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire, the fire. Some said this was electricity on the ground. And the fire ran through our long about the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail, verse 24, and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, whatever beasts were left, and hail smote every herb of the field, and break every tree of the field. Verse 26 is very important. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Now, let me read like this, just to make uh, uh, an application to you. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there uh, was there no hail. Here's how I'd read it to make it applicable for the New Testament Christian. Where the children of God are, there's no hell. There's no hell. So where you are in heaven, there is no hell. You're in heaven, there's no hell. On earth, in Egypt, there was no hell in Goshen. There's something to pass them to you. So uh, the hell, great hell, had never seen before in the history of the world until that time. And uh, you remember that um, this is a preview of the tribulation. In which the tribulation you have in Revelation 8 and 16, hail coming down by a certain size, destroying vegetation and trees, etc. This was a judgment against the storm god, against the fertility god. In other words, destruction upon what they depended on. Their dependence upon these fabricated gods for their livelihood, for the economy, destroyed, destroyed. Number eight, oh boy, number eight is another destructive um, judgment on their economy. Locust, chapter 10, one through seven, 14 and 15. As with the frogs, they are in everything, these locusts. Look at verse number six, 10, six. And they shall fill thy houses, that is gross. It was bad enough for the frogs to be there, for the flies to be there, now you got locusts to be there. They're bigger than flies, and they make all, and they're ugly. You ever see a locust face? It looks like, um, I'm not gonna say the politician's name, but it makes you nervous and scared when you see the face of these locusts. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all thy Egyptians, which neither thy fathers, and so on. 
So finally they say, verse 7, Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Well, what did they just do? What did the people of Israel, of Egypt, what did the servants of Pharaoh say about Moses? The locusts are everywhere. What did they say about Moses? Who is the troublemaker here? Who are they blaming for all this mess? They're blaming Moses. How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Wait a minute. The snare to the people is not this man Moses. The snare to people is this man Pharaoh. They're talking to the one who's the snare to the people. But they blame Moses instead because he's the one who raises up his arm and rod. He wasn't, he wasn't the cause. He was just a messenger. He was just a vessel. He wasn't the one who brought all these plagues to Egypt. Practically speaking, people blame you for their troubles. They blame you. You give them good counsel, good advice from the Bible, they blame you if something falls apart. No, don't divorce your wife. No, don't, 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 no, don't do that. No, do it. And then they, and then when some, now if you do, if you do the right thing, God will help you and so on, and then things fall apart. Things get worse. And they blame you. Well, since you told me to, to not divorce my wife, um, things have fallen apart. It's worse now than ever. Why are they blaming you? Well, because you told them what to do that was right, but they blame you because things didn't, the outcome was not what they wanted. So you got the blame. Isn't that nice? You got the blame. You tried to help them. You got the blame. It's your fault that things fell apart. It's, their, it's your fault because they lost their job. Well, no, you need to ask if you can get a schedule shift so you can go to church. That's a right that you have. Oh, yeah. And then I got, hey, I got fired. Why did I get fired? Oh, because you told me to, I didn't say to demand. I said, ask. Ask. I didn't say demand. Ask. Well, I got fired because of you. Moses is the problem here, ladies and gentlemen. No, it was not Moses the problem. All right. So the locusts come and they destroy the crops. And boy, it's a, it's a disaster. It's a wipeout of their economy. And so, oh boy, reminds us of the tribulation, doesn't it? Of the tribulation locusts, Revelation 9, 7. And the shapes of the locusts, 9, 7, Revelation, were like unto horses. Ooh, the locusts, the shapes were like unto horses, prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the face of a man. Wow, these are strange locusts. They're not normal locusts. They're a different kind of locusts. They're demonic locusts. You ever see a locust the face of a man wearing a crown, having a leader, having a king? These locusts have no king. So these locusts in chapter 10 of Exodus is a reminder of what will happen in the tribulation. It's a reminder. And then number nine, we have the ninth plague. We'll stop on this one and pick up the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn next Sunday. Darkness upon the face of the earth for three days. Chapter 10, verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which can be felt. And that's pretty creepy. It's not just lights out. It is total darkness, total blackness. And Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick, interesting, a thick darkness, a soupy darkness, a mushy darkness, 
darkness that you can feel, you feel it creeping on your skin. Have you ever had that kind of darkness around you? Have you been that kind of I never have. But I can imagine throughout all the land of Egypt, they saw not one another, verse 23, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Isn't that something? What a contrast. God's people was protected and the judgment was on the non-believers and the heathen. Darkness. I went to the Big Island one summer for about overnight. I went to paint for somebody, their house interior. It was a rental property. So I got there in the afternoon, got my supplies and painted this house somewhere on the east side of, uh, northeast side of uh, Big Island. I'm not even sure where I was, 20 minutes from the airport, on the Gila side. Out in the country, this does close stuff come to darkness. Um, the house had no sheets, it was just windows, out nowhere. And uh, I started painting as soon as I got there, painted into that, turning the lights. But as it got darker, I noticed one thing, it was very quiet. Not even a chirping of bugs. It's very quiet, very eerie. And I, my skin crawled. I began to paint by the light. And I wanted to finish everything before the next day. And I had to paint until the next day until my flight to come back home. It was the darkest night I've ever experienced as an adult and as a kid. I could not sleep that night. It was so dark. There was, um, like I had no curtains and nothing to for people to peek in. My mind was going crazy. I was thinking all kinds of crazy things in that dark place. I took a shower, but I couldn't take a shower in peace because I thought someone's going to get me. It was just one of those kind of feelings that you imagine about. I could not wait till the sun came up the next morning. I slept on a three-fold mattress next to the next against the wall next to the window of our bedroom, so that if people looked, they wouldn't see me. It was like it was creepy. I know you brave people don't have that kind of fear. You say, "Well, what a what a wimp you are." I say, "Okay, yeah, wimp, wimp, wimp." I went for something to come. It was so dark. This darkness, she was how many times more than that? You could feel the darkness. Uh, so the ninth plague also punished the Egyptians severely. But in Israel or in Goshen, they had light. Their day carried on routinely. No fear, no darkness. Everything was happening. They're singing songs and eating pizza, they were having a good time because they were exempt from the judgment of God. Next week, we see that the, the Hebrews in, in Goshen were also exempt from the 10th plague. And you see why. You also see that if they did not do what God said, they would not be exempt from the last plague. That's very important to understand too. So the 10th plague next Sunday, and uh, it'll all be... Uh, a blessing to know that only one thing protected the Hebrews and could have protected um, anyone else if they so chose to obey what God said. So that was that's going to be next week. All right, any questions? Okay, we'll stop there for the Sunday school.